This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Regardless whoever wins the White House, we are facing serious geopolitical and economic challenges that could lead to the next great financial crisis. You need a recognized safe haven asset for your portfolio and IRA, and that asset is gold. Call Goldline and add physical gold to your portfolio or IRA at 800-913-GOLD. Goldline, been helping people diversify their portfolio with gold for over 55 years. Rated A-plus by the BDB. Read Goldline's important risk information, but do it now, because crazy times are coming. 800-913-GOLD. 800-913-GOLD. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Welcome to the uh, Glenn Beck Program. Well, it has been another fun-filled week, hasn't it? We have sisters here. We've got like 400 sisters that have all come uh, from all over the country on a uh, sister's weekend, and we're glad you're here. And Mom, looks like you did a good job. Yes. Um, we want to talk, we were talk, just chatting before we came on a little bit about uh, hope. And Raymond, here in the front row, seemed, I'm, I'm not saying desperate, but a little desperate for hope. Well, seeing what's been going on in the last five or ten years in this country, especially the last eight, um, <laughs> seeing how things have gotten right. so very uncomfortable. It's just not the way it's been. America, as I know it. Is, okay, so what part of it is uncomfortable? Oh, it's just evaporating, just the way we go about our life and our independence. Uh, it seems like this newest generation of America is looking for more dependency and leaning back, and they want more free stuff. And I'm just petrified that I can't teach my children the real America to go out and work and earn for your way and what you want. And there's so many people right now that just start their day with their handout. That's not what we are. Well, I will tell you this. I mean, we shouldn't be discouraged um, by, by saying we don't have an example. The founders had zero example of this. Zero. And they seemed to be able to teach their kids that. You know, they were, they were able to say, okay, everything you see around the entire world, forget about that. We're doing something different. Um, it just takes a committed group of people. And it wasn't the whole of America. Most of America at the time didn't want this. I mean, a third were against it, a third were for it, and the rest were like, whichever side wins, I'm cool with. Um, And that's kind of like what we have now, I think. We have about a third against it, a third for it, and a third in the middle that are just quite honestly, want to hit them in the head several times, uh, you know, make a choice. Which, which side of the fence are you on? But they'll go either way, and that's normal. And we have the stories of history um, to teach. And there are examples of, of heroes today, and there are examples of people standing up. Unfortunately, not enough, but that's always like that. It's always like that. You know, I, I think of... I've read this several times because I have a friend who is um, uh, going through some really bad uh, physical problems. And um, he wrote me this week and he said, I'm scared. I'm scared. And um, uh, I didn't know exactly what to say to him, but one of my favorite hymns um, is um, a hymn from my faith. And it's called Come, Come Ye Saints. And one of the lines in it is, no toil nor labor fear. Why should we think that we should earn our just reward 
if we now would shun the fight. How could we expect? Thomas Paine said, um, heaven knows how to attach a proper price to something as heavenly as freedom. How should we expect to earn our reward of freedom, to earn our freedom? Every generation has to. If we now shun the fight, if we now fall behind, if we now refuse to stand up, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But again, as Thomas Paine said, um, those who stand now will be remembered for generations. We'll be remembered as heroes and patriots. And as the end of that song says, and should we die before our journey's through? Happy day. All is well. All is well. Um, We make it. We make it. And our kids are better because of this. I'm a better man I'm not, a, I'm not a more happy man. I'm not necessarily... I can't say that. My family is better. I'm closer to my children. I know what's important now. I didn't 10 years ago. I certainly didn't 16 years ago before September 11th. I know what's important. I know who I serve. I know the difference between right and wrong. I am not the man I want to be. I'm not the man I wish to be. I'm not the man I hope to be. But I'm better than I was yesterday. I'm better because of all of this. I'm more tired. I'm not doing the stuff I want to do. And I'll bet you guys feel exactly the same way. But we're better because of it. How many of us, how many of us could even... 15 years ago, you guys are going to put me to shame because I couldn't. How many of us could name all of the rights in the Bill of Rights 15 years ago? Right? No. No. I can now. I can actually defend the Constitution. I used to make fun. Eight years ago, I made fun of the people with the little pocket Constitution like, hey, well, I just says in the kind of like, okay, freak boy. Now I can defend it. We're better Americans. Sherry, you were kind of echoing the same thing before we went on. Well, yes, I, I <laughs> agree. I, I, I agree with everything you said. And I haven't lost hope in myself or in my God or the people around me. But as far as our country goes... I think there's absolutely no hope of turning it around whatsoever. We're like in a jetliner, oh, maybe 100 yards from the mountain, and it doesn't matter who's steering the plane, and we're squabbling over, or do we want Diet Coke or do we want a vodka? It doesn't I'll matter. I'll take anything that'll numb it at that point. If the mountain is right there, I'll drink gin, vodka. I'll drink gasoline sure, if you've got end, any. why not? You know? <laughs> but, I mean, that's... So I've completely cashed out of the what's going on with the uh, election. I just watch it as a spectator because I don't think it's going to make a difference anymore. Are you going to vote? Uh, I'm going to vote, but not for president. (laughs) How does everybody feel about that? I mean, no judgment. I'm not not your judge, and nobody should judge anybody on how they're voting because this is cyanide, 
and uh, a loaded gun. Which, which one do you want to pull? Which one? Which pilot is going to fly us into the mountain? How, how does everybody else feel about not voting for president? Is everybody else going to vote for president? We need to vote. Okay, yeah. Is, okay, besides Sherry, is there anybody, and no judgment, is there anybody who says, I'm going to vote for the undertaker or whatever, but I won't vote for president? I'm sort of there. You're sort of there? So, okay. Have you guys, you've always voted before, I'm guessing? Always voted before. Um, how many people here who are voting are happy about their vote? <laughs> one, one in the back. Okay, get a, let's get a microphone to you. I'm going to tell you why I'm happy. All right. It's a privilege to vote. We have two choices. I don't want to vote for a Hillary Mafia type thing, disgrace, lying. But I can vote for a man who is weak, who has made mistakes, who puts his foot in his mouth every time he turns around, but I can pray for him and hope he surrounds himself with good people, which, in my humble estimation, he has done some of that already. Amen. Um, how, um, um, how, come you can't vote for, how come you can't pray for Hillary the same way and hope that she... I would- should. <laughs> Uh, I guess what I do pray for is the freedoms of this nation and the support of the Constitution of this land. But I do have hope, and I am happy to go vote. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, How many feel like, um, you know, I wrote up here, even though we knew things would get bad, uh, most of us are still in shock. Would you say that's true or false? They were kind of in shock. On We knew things were going to get bad, but we had, it's kind of like, <laughs> I hate to use this, but it's kind of like you get test results back and they're like, oh, you know, it might be cancer, but it's probably not. It's probably not cancer. But we just got to do one more test and then come in Wednesday. And so you're kind of prepared for cancer. You're like, I could be cancer, but it's probably not, right? And then they tell you, yeah you got cancer. You might be building up and go, this is torture. This is torture. I just want the doctor to tell me if it's cancer or not. I'll be fine with it. This is hell. And then as soon as they say you have cancer, you're like, oh man, I wish he wouldn't have said that. I wish I could have still had that possibility that it wasn't going to be so bad. Everybody kind of feel that way, kind of? That we, we knew things were going to be bad, but now it's upon us or... Is it the way it is upon us? For instance, this explains me. This, these are the, this is the way you process guilt. Okay, First, you go into shock and disbelief. She's dead? No, she can't be dead. How could she be dead? Please, please. Let's, guilt, depression, acceptance, and then hope. That is the grieving stages. Okay, I feel like I went through that for my country four years ago. I felt like I was like, I I couldn't believe it. And then I was in denial. Then I was angry about it. And then I wanted a bargain. And then I just felt guilty about it. And then I was really depressed. And then I accepted it. And then I got to a place where like, it's going to be okay. But I feel like, does anybody feel like they've went through this before with the country? Okay. 
Is anybody going through this again? Right? Have you figured out what it is? Anybody figured out what it is? Here, get a microphone here over to Jennifer, please. What, what is it? I just think you're farther along than at least I am and most of us are. I think you're farther along this process. And so I think with your listeners, and I've been a faithful listener for a while, I still find myself wanting to vote for Trump, but also understanding what you're saying as well. So I am very much on the fence. And then I talk with, I mean, even among my sisters here, it depends on where we get our news. With my neighbors, it depends on where they get their news. We're all very like-minded, I believe. But if they're getting news from a different source than I am, we can think of things completely differently. I know. You know what makes me sad? When I was down on my knees, it was Christmas of 1996 and Christmas Eve. And I left my kids and I was completely broke. I mean, flat broke. Could not afford a a gift for my daughter at the CVS. And... um, and it was my first uh, holiday away from them. And I had the biggest pity party for myself ever on the floor of my little apartment that smelled like old soup. And it had green 1970s shag carpeting in it. And uh, I just had this pity party. And that was the very bottom for me, and I realized what was important. And I wanted, all I wanted back wasn't even my family because that wasn't the root of the problem. I wanted my integrity back. I wanted to be a man that would say what he meant and meant what he said, and people would believe him because that would be the road to get my family back. And I swore on that day, and I don't think I have violated that pledge because it was so, so deep in me. I don't think I violated that pledge. I can't think ever, but I may have, let's give it five times in, 15, in 20 years. I have been with you guys for 15 years. You have watched my track record. You have seen how... I can tie things together that others are not tying together. I can show them. And how many people who, uh, who used to be in our pool now say he's a drunk, he's an alcoholic, he's, a, he's crushed, you know, he's collapsing, he's whatever. That is the hardest thing. I'm going through this because I'm starting over shock and disbelief of what, like my own family, like, you know, I consider you guys family, my own family. How? And I understand how people don't see it the same way. But to intentionally and willfully, this audience, question with boldness, even the very existence of God. For if there be a God, he must surely rather Honest questioning over blindfolded fear. That's been the theme of my life for the last 20 years and our theme of getting together for the last 15 years. 
Question everything. Question me. Don't believe me. Look it up for yourself. Question yourself. Donald Trump has surrounded himself with the most dangerous people I have ever seen. We are repeating the 1930s step by step. No one wanted to believe it in 1930 either. It's it's not rational to think that. It's not rational to think that somebody can be that evil. When I first started talking about um, Barack Obama on Fox News, I'll never forget, Roger Ailes called me up to his office and he said, you cannot call the president a liar. I said, but he's lying. And he said, I know that and you know that. You cannot call the president a liar. And I said, again, I have him on tape and I have him on tape. What is that? And he said, Glenn, it is a lie. But no one in the country wants to hear that their president is a liar. It goes against even people who are for the president. Now, this is eight years ago. It makes them uncomfortable because they either voted for that man or he is the president and they don't want to believe the president could look you in the eye and lie to you because then their whole worldview falls apart. Then you have to worry about, well, wait a minute, if he's lying, then is this a lie? Is that a lie? And you start questioning everything. You cannot call the president a liar. Now, look how far we've come. Look what's happening. Look what we're denying in front of our own eyes. Can God use somebody? Oh, man, can he ever. If they're humble. If they are not humble, they must be humbled first. And if they're president of the United States, the only way to humble a man in the office of the presidency is to humble the country. And boy, we have it coming in spades, but I'd rather not have to have a president that has to be humbled by God and driven to his knees by God. So I don't... You you do have a, a problem of sources now and you have to know who you can trust and it is why I have looked this audience in the eye for the last 15 years and said don't trust me get yourself into a position where you can be trustworthy get yourself in a position to where you know how to do your own research I'll help you I'll show you where it is How many people are reading anything about Alexander Dugan right now? One. Good for you. One. Alexander Dugan is your future. He is your future. He is the future of the conservative movement here in America. We have to, don't believe me, read Alexander Dugan in Russia. See what he has said about America. See what he has said and done over in Europe. See and read about what he is doing here. Then listen to the words of the alt-right and compare those words to the words of Alexander Dugan. 
Then compare the words of the people that surround Donald Trump with the alt-right and Dugan. They all fit. They all fit. Words are being changed. Language is being changed. Everything is shifting like sand under your feet. And we have refused to stand on principle so there's no rock underneath us. The whole house comes down if there is no rock. But I don't have to have the credibility. You do. You do. Because, as I have said for 15 years, there's going to come a time. And it's here, gang. It's already here. There's going to come a time when you're going to have to look at your neighbor and say, no, 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 Bill, Bill, how long have you known me? Please, please, trust me. Don't go there. Please, stay here. Come with me. Please. Told you that for 15 years. It's here. It's not my credibility. It's your credibility. Have you done the homework? Have you gotten out? As you said, we're arguing about what pilot is going to fly us into the mountain. Which, what drink are you going to have? We're in the fog of partisanship. We can't even talk about what's really happening. It could be as soon as next year that you go to your bank and the bank is on a bank holiday and you can't get your money out. And they're making decisions in Washington about your money. You call your bank right now. You call your, if you're watching at home, you put this on pause for a second and you call your bank and you ask them, do you have a right to do a bail-in? Most likely the person will say, I don't know what you're, could you get somebody who does know all the new bylaws and I'd like them sent? You get them. You've seen them. You've most likely signed them all in a whole bunch of little teeny fine print on the back of something in the last three years. Because the banks have made, they know a bailout is not coming. A bail-in is coming, which means they have access to your bank account. You're a creditor to them. You're bar- they're borrowing your money. When you put it in, you think you're just putting it in the safe. No. You've made a contract. You're lending them money to lend out. I feel like Jimmy Stewart. It's in your house, in your house, and Cousin Billy, it's over here. It, you lend that money to them when you put it in the bank. They lend it to somebody else. When you sign that, you're basically telling them, I'm giving you my money so you can lend it out, and you have a certain period of time to be able to give it back when I demand it. Well, there's new stipulations in those. If the bank becomes insolvent to pay their other creditors, they take and use your money. You're out. It's called a bail-in. Now, How good are we all going to feel when we have either Hillary or Trump and we have no idea what they're going to do in a situation like that because we've been worried about her health or we've been worried about his taxes and nobody has ever asked them, wait a minute, you both have said you're for a national bank. Could you explain that to me? How does that work exactly? You're going to have to be the leader. It's a huge responsibility, but it's good. It's good. If you believe, 
How many people believe in the internal life? Okay. Do you know how many people have lived and just survived in history? How many people have lived and have not been given the big opportunity to step up and really be a person that returns home with honor? How many people just went along in their life and they didn't have anything big or catastrophic really happening, so they had a chance to be an honorable person and live a decent life? You have, they will build statues of people from these days someday. They may be of our children. Historians will read about us. Not everybody has that opportunity. That's a glorious opportunity given to us. It's whether or not we choose to seize it. Back in a minute. Kyle. So earlier in the show, you were talking about how every generation has to fight for its freedom. And so my question to you is, do you think that this generation realizes that we have to fight? It's our turn. No, I don't think they realize it yet, but I think they will. Um, uh, and I, I give them more credit than most do. I, I think um, we don't give them enough credit, and we have not armed them with any ammunition. I haven't given them any ammunition. No, I'm doing a show on the vault. Um, I don't remember when this one is going to air. A few weeks. And it's about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, Wilhelm uh, Furtwangler, and uh, another one, uh, von Stauffenberg. And in doing the research... You know how Hitler got to power? Hitler came to power because the country was a mess, a total and complete mess. And he reached out to the Christians. And the Christians were tired of the just overt sexual nature of the culture, of the Weimar culture, uh, of the rampant drugs, sex, alcohol, anything goes. Then they started to have financial pressure. And Hitler stepped up. He was, he, he was a clown. He was a clown. And he finally caught around 1930 because he went to Christians and said, you know what the problem is? Our German heritage, our good Christian German heritage, because we have moved Christ out of our society because where churches have been damaged and you will see me defend the church like nobody else. And he was a Christian zealot until he became chancellor. But by the time from 30 to 33 when he gets chancellor, it's only 12 months of him in office before 20,000 people in one city are rallying around two things. Now, 20, remember, 20,000 people, Christians, all of them, rallying around two points. The first point, the Bible 
needs to release the Old Testament. It has nothing to do with the New Testament. It's Jewish and it must be kicked out. Okay, 20,000 people. It's Germany, Hitler, maybe. Also, the, uh, the head of the church is not Jesus Christ. It's Adolf Hitler. Now, when you hear that part, you think, okay, even for Germany, as screwed up as Germany is, you want to get rid of the Old Testament and take the Jew out of... There's nothing left. If you take the Jews out of the New Testament, there's nothing left. So you take the Jew out. Okay, well, it's Germany, so I'm going to give you guys... I'm going to grade on a curve here. Uh Uh-uh. That was only one rally. 80% of all of the pastors by 1934 said that Hitler was the head of the church and not Jesus Christ. It happens that fast. You look at history, you see it. We've not equipped anybody. We've not told them anything. We, we had in my faith, we had a, um, one of the leaders come to our uh, church this weekend, and he started talking about um, um, uh, the loss of religious freedom. And he said the First Amendment is under attack. And y- y- you all better wake up right now, because this isn't going to be won by some big attorney in a suit. This is going to be each individual standing in their place, be it a bakery or a pulpit, standing up and being willing to say, here I am, and I'm not moving. I teach Sunday school. That next day, I felt like the biggest failure in the world. I'm teaching Sunday school. Me. Imagine what that's like. And they said, I can't believe that it's really this bad. These are, these are God-fearing people in my faith who actually said, I can't believe that it's really, it's that bad? Are you, are you kidding me? I'm the freak. They're not. I am. I'm the freak. I've been, this is, you pay me to do this. This is what I do. That's what I do all day long. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I live it. I had somebody in my office today said, Glenn, you need to read another kind of book, a happy book. (laughs) This is what I do for a living. You don't. You don't have the time to do it. We need to make the time to do it and teach our children the true principles of history. That show I'm going to do on the vault focuses on those three guys. Each three of them. One, we don't know if it was a hero or not. Uh, Furtwangler, he's he's the conductor of the Berlin Symphony Orchestra. I happen to believe him. I happen to believe he was a righteous man and righteous among the nations. Stood against the whole thing the whole time. But there's some hazy things, so I'm not sure. Then there was von Stauffenberg. Von Stauffenberg was, was the guy from Valkyrie. That you know He was the Tom Cruise character that went and tried to kill Hitler. Well, the orchestra leader of the Berlin Symphony, the meetings happened during his concerts, at his concert hall. But he wasn't involved. 
von Stauffenberg. He was killed because he was a military guy who saw his military duty to protect the homeland. I have to kill Hitler. This is gone far enough. And the third one was Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was fighting for the church, the soul of the church. But each of them, the soul of, of Germany, Furt Wengler said, we can't lose music. Music stirs the heart and keeps the heart soft. And if we lose music to these butchers and bullies, we'll have no chance of having culture back. He did his role. Bonhoeffer in the churches, wake up! Churches, wake up! How can you say Christ is not the center of your church? Wake up! He was alone. But he did his part to soften the hearts of those in the pews. And the military man did his part. We all are going to be called on to be a hero. And hopefully not anything like that. But in our own life, we're all going to be called upon to say our part, wake up. And that starts with the kids. Back in a minute. We're just having a conversation about our reliance on man instead of reliance on God. And, um, and we're still relying on man. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are not going to be able to fix this. I don't care how perfect they are. I said this, and you heard me say this if you watched any of my interviews with Ted Cruz, who I believed in. You realize you probably are going to be the next Abraham Lincoln. Meaning what? You're not going to be able to stop the consequences that we have already put into play. You have to pay the price. When are we going to start, what is it going to take for us to start relying with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence? Boy, that line from the Declaration of Independence means more to me today than it ever has. With firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, a door will open for a righteous and, and, uh, and a people that, live with with honor and integrity and merit doors will open for us um, i want to show you something i don't know did anybody see his story last night we started a new series um it's um uh about history here's a here's a clip uh f- i think this is is this talking about this is about uh, tesla being born watch so there are three people in this story there's Kemmler in New York, the axe murderer. Be patient, he plays a huge role. Then in Ohio, you have Edison. And then you have to go across the water and across the Adriatic to Croatia, where a baby is being born. It's 1856, Croatia. A mother is on the kitchen table and she is screaming in child labor and the midwife is there push 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 and as the as the labor pangs are hitting the mother the pangs of the sky are hitting at the same time and there is an electrical storm over croatia and over this farm where this child is being born and It's very clear in history. It was not a rainstorm. It was a lightning storm. 
And as the baby is being birthed, the midwife stops and looks in the flashes of light and says, this is a very bad omen. This is a very bad omen. This will be a child of darkness. And his mother says, no, this will be a child of light. What a way to enter the world, especially if your name is Nikolai Tesla. You couldn't have written that any better. Um, this, I'm trying to do my part and trying to change what we do here. And it will be up to you to, to take it and spread it. Um, uh, every story that we're going to do, we're doing two new shows a week on history. This one debuted yesterday, and it will, it will run every Tuesday. And then every Wednesday, something called The Vault, which is also history. And each of them are written to tell stories of history, to equip our children with something, to teach a principle. This is a two-parter series. It's about Edison and Tesla. And it teaches what happens with greed. It teaches what happens with um, uh, collusion between government uh, and, uh, and Wall Street. Uh, how, you, how you might think you're winning for a while, but you'll lose in the end. Um, it teaches what happens when the soul goes dark. Um, and little things you can you know, pull out of there, too, with your kids on... What would have happened to Tesla if Tesla's mother would have listened to the midwife and said, yeah, that is a bad omen. He, he might be a child of darkness. Instead, she rose him, raised him to be a child of light, and he changed the world, entirely changed the world. Daniel. Yeah, just to go back to this grief, the grieving process, um, I think that your one of your initial questions was, why are we in this process, basically? Mm -hmm. And so if if the sort of the trigger for the grieving process is, is loss, something has been taken away from us, it, it makes sense in a, in a personal context that, you know, if a friend dies or a parent dies or whatever, well, we know it's been taken away, but... And it also makes the, the last point, hope, a little bit more obvious because you, get, you, you can get to this point where you say, if, for those of us who do believe in eternal life, yeah, I might lose my friend or a parent or whatever, but there, there are things that no one can take away, right? The, the, I have my hope in Christ. Um, but thinking about that from a country perspective, what I'm trying to get your perspective. What do you think was taken away? And then... Where's the hope for the country? I think, and I could be wrong, I don't know how you guys feel, and I'd love to open this up. I think what's been taken is hope. Is hope that my children are going to be better off than I was. That America will be stronger, not even America. If some other country, if Great Britain all of a sudden was rising up, and they were just this amazing free country that was was the beacon of the world and, and, and had morals and values, I, I would be fine. I'd be like, kids, look at this. I'd be sad that it wasn't us, but 
I'd be glad that there was something there. I think what's been taken is, is, and it's been intentionally designed this way, take away your hope. Take away the hope that your kids will be better off, that you'll make it, that you'll be able to affect change. That's the problem. You read anything about revolution, you read anything about human behavior, once you destroy people's hope, they don't fight back anymore. And I believe that's intentionally being done to us. And by some, not intentionally, but by others, there is a grand design by some. Um, But others, we just are all falling into it. It's natural to fall into that. The secret is, how do we get there? And, 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 And I'd like to hear from somebody else on what they thought we've lost. We'll go there next. What have you guys thought? I was going to ask the audience what they feel like they've lost, but I want to start with you first, because you're how old, 19? I'm 19, yes. You, I mean, you don't even, I mean, it's never been better than this right? in your lifetime. <laughs> right. So how do you feel about us old fogies standing around saying, well, in my day? <laughs> um, I was talking to my dad earlier about this. Um, there are just a few things that I just it's hard for me to relate to and understand. Like what? Oh, when you were talking about um, you know, how good times were before and how you when you they like relate to the thirties. And um I mean obviously I under, I know what happened then, but yeah. it's just hard for me, I think just with my age and that I haven't had the experience yet and really know what I believe yet yeah. um to relate and to understand. So kind of what you guys are do I about. have too much faith in your generation? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> um, I think what the, um, why there's kind of um, a rift between it is that um, I think we do have, we do know that we need to fight for our freedoms, but I think that our definitions of freedoms are really different. I think we're more geared towards you know, like social freedoms more than what, you know, is defined freedom for the older generation. So in our, in our eyes, and I think... I Bill think of in, Rights, let's just start. Freedom oh of man. speech? Yeah. Freedom of religion? Yes. Freedom to assemble with people that you like? Um, uh, freedom to petition and ask the government for redress? Freedom of, uh, to defend yourself? Um, well, nobody's going to quarter any soldiers in your house yet. Um, uh, you're secure in your own papers, and nobody can come into your house. Nobody has to wiretap you. If they arrest you, they have to uh, they have to charge you. You have to have a speedy trial. You've got to have a jury. They have to have a warrant for your arrest, right? Right. Yeah. Those are the freedoms I want. Right. Right. Are those the same freedoms that you? Is that what you think of freedom? Personally, yes. But I think for my generation as a whole. We're just shifting what we believe that our freedoms are, if that makes sense. And I think that's are, why there's so much. And what are the freedoms that they're thinking? I think it's more geared towards equality, and I think they think there's so much injustice in the world that, you know. Right. Yeah, that's, that's just kind of what I'm okay. thinking. That's why I think there's okay. a difference. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. I, it does. It does. Okay. It does. Anybody tell me where? Anybody tell me where that revolution happened before and how it turned out? Equality, justice, fraternity, France. That led to Napoleon and the guillotines. Um, 
that is a collective mindset that we we have to I've got 20 seconds I got to take a break quickly can you do it in 20 I, seconds I think it's trying to make people feel comfortable these days we want everyone to be comfortable doing whatever they want to do yeah. and that's our mistake back in a minute David's going to say our prayer. Father, we thank you today for bringing us all together here safely, listening to truth, being open. And we just pray that your hand and hand affects this world like at no other time before. Mm-hmm. In your name, amen. 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 Thank you, David. Thank you. From Dallas, good night. <laughs> Regardless of whoever wins the White House, we are facing serious geopolitical and economic challenges that could lead to the next great financial crisis. You need a recognized safe haven asset for your portfolio and IRA, and that asset is gold. Call Goldline and add physical gold to your portfolio or IRA at 800-913-GOLD. Goldline, been helping people diversify their portfolio with gold for over 55 years. Rated A-plus by the BBB. Read Goldline's important risk information, but do it now, because crazy times are coming. 800-913-GOLD. 800-913-GOLD.